You see, while on earth people are judged by the law and stand guilty. But since we've been united to Christ in his death, we have died to the law. We are now under grace. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode 47. In today's episode, what I'd like to do is give you proof that you have been united to Christ. And because you've been united to Christ, your salvation is guaranteed. And in order to do that, we're going to take a look at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Now, let me give you a quick review of Romans up to this point. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that he wants to preach the gospel to the Christians in Rome because the gospel is the power of God for salvation for those who are believing. And the good news that Paul wants to proclaim is that we have received God's righteousness by faith. And Paul argues from the middle of chapter 1 to the middle of chapter 3 that all mankind, with the exception of Jesus Christ, is wicked to the core. But by his grace, God has given us his righteousness so that we are justified by faith and have peace with him. In chapter 5, Paul informs us that we are fallen in Adam, but we have received the free gift of God's righteousness in Christ by faith. Then he says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Paul begins chapter 6 by asking if we should continue to sin because grace abounds. You see, Paul's following the logical path of the statement that he made in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. As sin increased, God's grace abounded more. In other words, God's grace always outperforms our sin. So the logical line of thinking is, let's go ahead and sin more so that grace abounds. Well, Paul knows that's what people are going to think. So here in verse 2, Paul is going to shut that down. He simply asks the question, in order that grace abound, should we keep on sinning? And he answers his own question, no. Then he explains why. We died to sin. If we died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Now Paul goes to the purpose of baptism. Your baptism is a sign that you've been united to Christ. Paul asks in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Let me rephrase Paul's question in a statement. You who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. Baptized into Christ means you have been united to him. Think of a branch that's been engrafted into a vine. That's the imagery that Jesus himself used in John 15. You who have been baptized into Christ have been joined or connected to him. Your baptism is a sign that you have been united to Christ. And if you've been baptized into Christ, you've been baptized into his death. Now look at what Paul says in verse 4. By baptism, we were buried with Christ. Are you tracking with what Paul is saying? You have been buried with Christ because you died with Christ. And the proof of this? Your baptism. Paul then tells us at the end of verse 4 the implication of being buried with him. He says that just as Christ rose from the dead, we too are to walk in newness of life. And since we have been buried with Christ, because we died with Christ, we are called to walk in newness of life just as he was raised from the dead. We now have been renewed, and Paul confirms this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 to 24. And there, Paul discusses putting off the old man and putting on the new man. 
and he describes the new self as created after the likeness of God. And notice that was a past tense verb, created. We're not being created after the likeness of God. We have been created after the likeness of God. It's done. This is the same point Paul makes at the end of verse 4 of Romans 6. We are to walk in newness of life, putting on the new man, because our old self has been crucified with Christ. But Paul doesn't end there. He says that if we've been united to Christ in his death, we're certainly going to be united with him in a resurrection like his. Do you see what Paul is saying? You are going to rise from the dead, not spiritually, that's already been done. You're going to rise from the dead physically. You who are in Christ have already risen from the dead spiritually. It's what we call regeneration or being born again. However, when Christ returns, we will hear his voice and rise physically from the dead. I want to take you to a couple places to get you a better picture of this. First, if we look at John chapter 11, verses 38 to 44, we see where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And I'll let you find that story and read it for yourself. But I want to focus on a couple things. First of all, when Jesus told them to roll the stone away, Martha was a little concerned because he'd been in the tomb for four days, and she knows that there's going to be a bad smell. And then Jesus confronts her on this and reminded her that he told her that if she believed, she would see the glory of God. So after they removed the stone, Jesus called out Lazarus' name and called him to come out. And he did. So why did Jesus do this? Why did he raise Lazarus from the dead? There are at least three reasons. First, he proved his identity. Look at what he says in John 11, verse 25, just before he raised Lazarus from the dead. He is the resurrection and the life. Second, he authenticated his power. And then finally, he acted out what is to come. Now let me take you to the second place, John chapter 5, and take a look at verses 28 and 29. And there Jesus says a time is coming when everybody's going to be in their tombs, and he is going to call us out of our graves. Believers to a resurrection of life, non-believers to a resurrection of judgment. Now, do you see the parallel between what Jesus said here and his raising Lazarus from the dead? As Lazarus responded to the voice of Jesus, we too will respond to the voice of Jesus, and we will be raised from the dead, very much like Lazarus. But our resurrection will be different than Lazarus. He died again. Lazarus isn't roaming the earth. When Jesus returns, on the other hand, we will rise from the dead with glorified bodies that will never sin, suffer, or die. Our physical resurrection is coming, and it will be better than Lazarus' resurrection. Continuing in Romans 6, Paul reminds us in verse 6 that our old self with its sinful ways has been crucified with Christ. Our baptism is proof that we've been united to Christ. Therefore, we can say with Paul in Galatians 2.20 that we've been crucified with Christ. You've already been judged in him. You've been united to him, and your baptism is a sign that this is true. You see, our baptism isn't an act of obedience, even though we obeyed and were baptized. Paul says that our baptism is proof that we've been united to Christ in his death and burial. Look at the reason Paul gives at the end of verse 6. He says that we were crucified with Christ to do away with or to kill the body of sin. And the reason for this is to free us from our enslavement to sin. You see, since we were united in his death, we are now free to be God's people. That's the point Paul's getting at in Romans 6-7, where he says that one has died to set us free from sin. 
Therefore, the power and penalty of sin no longer applies to you. That's the point Paul's getting at in Romans 6, 7, where he says that anyone who has died is free from sin. Therefore, the power and penalty of sin no longer applies to you. Paul then takes us back to the resurrection of Jesus. Since we've been united to Christ, which our baptism signifies, we have died with him. Since we have died with him, we also will live with him. Now, Paul doesn't mean here that we're going to live in his house. He means that we will be alive with him. You see, just as Jesus rose from the dead, we too will rise from the dead. Death has no dominion over him. And if death has no dominion over him, it has no dominion over us because we've been united to him. Furthermore, since Jesus has been raised from the dead, the life he lives, he now lives to God. This is now what you're called to do. As Paul says in verse 11, consider yourself dead to sin. Consider yourself alive to God in Christ. Now, I want to point out what Paul just said. You are to consider yourself dead to sin. What that means is sin still resides in you. In other words, you still sin. Though our old selves have been crucified with Christ, the remnants of sin remain. That's the point that Paul makes in the next chapter. I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. You can listen to episode 12, where I talk about Romans 7 in full, and help you see that this is the Christian life. But notice what Paul says in Romans 7, verse 20. He says, it's sin in me that keeps on sinning. He actually says the same thing in verse 17. Since we have been crucified with Christ, we are free from the power and penalty of sin, even though sin still sins this side of the grave. The law that condemns is no longer applicable to us because we died with Christ. Paul will discuss this in more detail in Romans 7. Yet it's sin in us that continues to sin. But as you remember from what Paul said, up to this point, God has given us his righteousness So we have been justified by faith, not by works of the law, and we have peace with God. And peace with him doesn't mean that you have a gentle calm in your spirit. Peace with him means that we are no longer at war with him. There's no conflict between you and God. Well, Paul describes what this looks like to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. We are to fight against the remnants of sin, the passions of our bodies. This means that sin will show itself. And you will have to struggle against it. Again, Paul describes the fight in Romans 7. And this is the normal Christian life. But we are not to let sin have mastery over us. We're not to let sin reign or rule in our mortal bodies. We're not to let our sinful desires be the decision maker in our physical bodies. We are not to offer our bodies over to the sinful desires that we feel as Paul says in verse 13. Do you know what Paul is saying? He's saying that you will have sinful passions. They're there, and they're not going away. But you have to recognize them and fight against them. And we do this not because we might lose our salvation, because we won't. If God has united you to Christ, do you think he's going to ununite you because you sinned? Do you know how many times God has had to ununite you and unite you if that's the case? You see, we're secure in Christ. We fight against them. We fight against these sinful desires because we died with Christ and we have been raised to newness of life. So what might these sinful passions be? Well, Paul gives us a pretty good list in Galatians 5, verses 19 to 20. 
And let me just read that list to you. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Notice first that all of the passions of the flesh are more than mere sexually immoral desires, though it includes that. But it even includes the desire to fight against one another. So the passions of the flesh are the things like Paul just described in Galatians 5. And we are to refrain from and prevent these passions from having mastery over us. Paul tells us not to let these things rule over us. Again, not because we might lose our salvation, but because we died with Christ. And as Jesus was raised from the dead, we are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of our Savior because we have died with Christ and we've been raised with him. Though we wait for our physical resurrection while we're here on earth, we are to conduct ourselves as if we've died to sin because we've been united to Christ in his death. You see, while on earth, people are judged by the law and stand guilty. But since we've been united to Christ in his death, we have died to the law. You see, while on earth, people are judged by the law and stand guilty. But since we've been united to Christ in his death, we have died to the law. We are now under grace. And look at that phrase, will have no dominion. In verse 14, that's not an imperative. It's not a command. So when Paul says that sin will have no dominion over you, he's not issuing you a command. It's an indicative, which means it's a fact. He's saying what is true. Sin will have no dominion over you because you're no longer under the law since you've been united to Christ in his death. Therefore, you are now under grace. Children of God, on this side of the grave, you will have sinful desires. You will struggle with sin. Paul never said that sin was absent. In fact, he confirmed its presence. Perhaps you're frustrated because you think that as a believer, you shouldn't have these sinful desires that you have. You think no one else struggles with these things, and you're the only one who does. It's demoralizing, isn't it? But we all suffer the remnants of sin, and we all struggle against sinful passions. You're not abnormal. You're actually normal between the fall and the grave. That's why Paul says, don't offer your body over to unrighteousness. That's why you're supposed to fight against it. You don't fight against something that's not there. But regardless of the sinful desires that we have, sin has no authority over you. Sin has no dominion over you. The law which condemns the non-believer no longer applies to you. We are no longer under judgment according to the law because we died to it in our union with Christ. Now we live under grace. Though we do not have permission to sin, when we do sin, God's grace abounds all the more. God's grace always outperforms sin. And not only that, did you know that when you sin, even in a really bad way, God still says you're righteous. He still declares you justified. And that's because you're united to Christ. And it's the righteousness of Christ that God sees. And you can listen to episode four, where I discuss justification in full. And this should help you understand more clearly the point that I just made. You see, we are now under grace as we wait for the return of our dear Savior. 
Well, let me conclude with the Westminster Shorter Catechism's definition of sanctification. It says that sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. That's question 35 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Did you notice that it recognizes we're renewed, past tense, in the whole man? And I get it. It doesn't feel like we're renewed. Feels like we keep falling back into the same old sins. But we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. But did you also notice the presence of sin throughout this life? We are enabled to die more and more unto sin. That means sin is still there, dying more and more. When you fight against your sinful passions, understand that God knows what's going on. He's fully aware that it's the remnants of sin that sin. He's the one who told us through Paul in Romans chapter 7. But you have been united to Christ in his death and burial, and your baptism is proof. Sin has no dominion over you, even when it seems like it does. You're not under the law, but you're under grace. And that means, even as you struggle with sin, you are safe in the hands of your Savior, because you have been united to Him by faith, and your baptism is proof. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. Remember, faith comes by hearing.